Welcome to BQSD of A Child, episode 40, mm-hmm. the big 4-0. It's a while since we had an episode as we were at Intelligent Speech. That was awesome. Uh, it was quite weird talking live and also to an audience who you couldn't really uh, see, react or anything because we did it online. We've also had a really cool comment on our Warren Delivery episode on YouTube, haven't we? Mm-hmm. The Royal Institution. Yeah, they said it was the best astronomy podcast ever. We were thrilled that our guy, Michael Faraday, even got a mention. Keep up the good work. Yes, that's really cool. So really happy about that. Mm-hmm. And inspired by that, um, we thought, as we've been really history heavy lately, we would do an episode on something more scientific. Time. Yeah, because thyme, it's one of my favourite herbs. I've always loved it. Uh, no, Daddy, not that thyme. But we do spices, so we must do the thyme herb. No, maybe a future episode. It's not that type of thyme. Oh, okay, sorry. Well, that's all my research out the window then. Uh, don't worry, I got you covered. Okay, thank you. Um, don't forget, if you enjoy the episode, to leave a review. And also listen to the end, where we might have a little special announcement for you about a super secret project. So what is time? Is it something that actually exists? Or is it some emerging property of some other workings of the universe? How much of what we see as time is governed by our perceptions? For as long as we've been able to think about our place in the universe, we've tried to understand time, and the more we've learnt, the odder it's become. Time is something that's really difficult to properly understand, as we can't go outside time and see all of its quirks and nuances. It's not something we can look at from the outside, is it? Not really. So, uh, Anton, shall we begin our journey into time? Let's do some space travel. Um, so what do you think time is? Um, it, it's not a physical object, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's like uh, a perception or something. And if you want to learn more about perception, uh, go to our perception episode. So have you ever had any odd experiences of time? My entire life. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Now, I actually had a bit of a funny one when I was was researching the episode. I was reading um, a book, and there was one Tuesday evening where you were with mummy. So as soon as I got home from work, I started reading, and uh, so I was lying on the sofa, nice and relaxed, and I read for a few hours, and the passage of time then, it it seemed really slow and calm and peaceful compared to an evening with you. Uh, Thanks. (laughs) It was like my evening um, was pleasantly stretching out into eternity. And the, the book is good as well. It's called The Order of Time by Carlo Rovelli. And he's an Italian theoretical physicist. And um, it's really useful for this episode. Now, one of the strangest things about time is there is no universal time. It's actually different everywhere. 
And I don't just mean how we perceive time. I mean the actual passage of time itself. In no two places is it the same. Um, and the faster we travel, the slower time goes, doesn't it? So there was an experiment carried out, uh, I can't remember when, but basically two atomic clocks were put on two separate planes Mm -hmm. and one plane flew eastwards around the world and then the other one westwards around the world and the plane that flew eastwards around the world lost uh, 59 nanoseconds and the one that went westwards around the world gained 273 nanoseconds so the people on the planes aged at different rates yeah that's amazing i mean only a tiny amount but that's odd isn't it and how accurate are um atomic clocks well there's some material in the atoms or something i I don't entirely understand that (laughs) but basically they like bounce nine billion times per second so you can get an accuracy of a nine billionth of a second. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't even think that time gets that small. Yeah, that's nearly as incredible as me. <laughs> nearly, but not quite. Mm-hmm. If it was 10 billion, maybe. <laughs> uh, but it actually gets even weirder than that. Now, there's a subatomic particle called a neuron, and they are created when cosmic rays traveling close to the speed of light hit particles in our atmosphere. And as they're traveling so fast, they can actually penetrate through nearly any material, including several kilometers into the Earth's crust. That's pretty far. <laughs> yeah, but that isn't actually what's amazing about them. How? <laughs> Despite traveling so fast, most of them should actually decay and disappear before they hit the Earth, but they don't. Mm-hmm. And now they have an average half-life of 2.2 microseconds, <laughs> which means they can travel about one kilometer. But the atmosphere is much deeper than that, so mm-hmm. they shouldn't be able to reach the Earth's surface. However, as they're going at about 99.5% the speed of light, and as we said, time slows down the faster you travel, 2.2 microseconds to us is about 22 microseconds for them. Whoa, that's so weird. Yeah, so if they weren't moving, they would be going quicker than yeah. if they are moving from their rel- relative position. Yeah, that's, that's really weird. Yeah. But yeah, so the faster you travel, slower time is. Mm-hmm. You said that earlier. I did. <laughs> Just making sure the bad memory people of this podcast know. That's me. Yep. <laughs> it's not just speed that changes time, though. Gravity does as well. Mm-hmm. So if you're on the top of a mountain, gravity is going to be a little bit weaker than if you're at sea level. So in the mountains, time is going a tiny bit faster. So basically, it's like uh, if you were running, there's a little bit less drag on you. So you could go f- uh, faster, except... Yes, with time instead. <laughs> yeah, in a way, yeah. yeah. Um, so if you go on a skiing holiday and your friend goes on a beach holiday, you will age a tiny bit more than they do. So you can think of gravity a bit like a thick treacle or wading into water. So the deeper you go, the more it slows you down. But would you age a little bit more? Because you, if you go on a skiing holiday, you're going down steep slopes very fast, meaning that oh. you actually age slower. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. yeah, maybe it offsets it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know which has the greater effect, actually. Good thinking. I know, I'm pretty clever. Talking are, about yeah. clever. Uh, someone is clever in a minute. <laughs> now, these two effects on time are part of what Einstein discovered and described with his theories of special and general relativity. Now, day to day, they're too small for us to really notice. Uh, but we do have machines that can actually measure the difference in time over just a few metres in height. Knowing... 
this tiny discrepancy is actually really important for how GPS works. Big satellites, they lose about seven microseconds every day. And that doesn't sound like much, but when they're such a vital part of modern navigation, these small errors grow and accumulate and would create problems, which have to be corrected for. If we ever built spaceships that could take us to distant worlds, relativity would become something that we could experience. Yeah, so given the right circumstances, I could age faster than you and become older. Yeah, I think that'd really change the dynamic of the podcast. Mm. All we need are spaceships that approach near light speed or hotels on the shores of a black hole. That'd be an interesting view. Not sure about the suntan, though. Mm. I might write a story or something about that. So we know that time is odd, and it's not the same everywhere. And we also know that we can experience and feel it differently, depending on what we're doing. So why do we divide time neatly into seconds, minutes and hours, when this is neither reality or our perception of time? The uniform segmentation of time is a relatively new phenomenon, only made possible in the last couple of hundred years by accurate clocks. And before this, people lived more by the passage of the days and how they changed during the seasons. So in winter, 12 hours going from dawn to dusk would be shorter than the 12 hours in summertime as the sun was in the sky for longer. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's actually a, a cool structure in Peru where an ancient civilization we don't know much about built a hill and some uh, notches. When the sun rose, um, it would rise in different places uh, throughout the year. So you could... Uh, tell which day it was to a couple of days just by where the sun rose like if it was in between the fifth and sixth notch or in the middle of the seventh one or something yeah it's amazing isn't it <clears throat> and you, you have a lot of um different ancient calendars which were these monumental um structures that shows how trying to measure time has been so important that cultures or civilizations put so much effort into it mm-hmm. now in the 14th century um, in Europe, people's lives started to be more regulated by mechanical clocks, ones that evenly split time. So what you would have used to have had is each locality would have had their midday. And as the sun was going across the sky, you could imagine a ripple of church bells tolling 12 o'clock as it struck at each location. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the invention of the railway changed this. So faster travel also required the synchronization and standardization of time over more distant places. Yeah. Because you could get from one side of the country to the other quick enough that uh, you had problems with the synchronization of time if you were just using that local midday. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> so with these changes, we slowly began to see time being broken into discrete, fixed and common units. The idea that time is fixed was also popularized by Sir Isaac Newton. And it's an important part of his equations on motion, or his Newtonian physics. No, his Newtonian mechanics, even. Get your facts right, Daddy. Come on. Hey, I'm rusty, all right? (laughs) And his equations using fixed time are perfectly usable for many circumstances. And we can ignore lots of the weird stuff that goes on. Mm. So how do we tell that time's passing? Uh... If you... Movement? I guess, like, someone could have moved there, could have walked forwards. Okay. So that's what happens, like, direction. So if you took a photo, though, can you see anything moving? Yeah. In a photo? 
Like, well, you can see something has moved if there were two photos. Okay, yeah, that was going to be my next question. So if you've got two photos taken a few seconds apart, though, can you tell which photo was taken first? A direction of people moving, yeah. Yeah, so you might be able to infer that from people, but if it was, I don't know, trees moving or something in the wind, you wouldn't be able to tell, would you? Probably not. Yeah, but you're right saying movement. So movement and change is how we understand something's happened and time's happened. Now, Aristotle, he said that time is the measurement of change. It is the counting of change. So for him, that means that if nothing moves, there is no time, as there's been no change to measure. Mm -hmm. However, for Newton, time is something that flowed. And even if there was no change, time would still pass. So which is correct? Does time flow, or does time only change? I think time flows a little bit, or it's a mixture of the two. Shall we see what Zeno of Ela thought in the 400s BCE. I've got two obvious paradoxes here. If you were to walk across this room, first you need to walk half its length, and to walk half its length you need to walk quarter. Mm -hmm. So you quarter an eighth, an eighth, you have to do a sixteenth. So you, yeah. you would have to get halfway there first, don't you? Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, can you walk across this room? Yeah. But if you have to keep dividing the distance you have to go in half, into infinitely smaller lengths. You can't keep dividing it, can you? Oh, you wouldn't be able to go on forever, would you? Yeah, because you always have to get half the distance of what you're trying to get to. Oh, I, I can't even escape the Curiosity Lab now. No, sorry, you're, you're trapped. Oh dear, oh well. <laughs> so for Zeno, all movement was an illusion. That's weird. Uh-huh. So let's do another one where um, instead of splitting distance, we're going to split time. So this is the arrow paradox. And Zeno said, for motion to occur, an object has to change position. So if you take this bow, please. Yeah, okay. Okay, thank you. And I want you to flight an arrow at the target on the wall with that picture of our arch nemesis arm, please. Okay. Die, Peppa Pig! <laughs> Poor Peppa Pig. Okay. Um... Now imagine a single instant where the arrow is caught in a moment of time during its journey towards Peppa Pig, okay? Yep. In that single instant, is it moving? Like if it's been paused in midair. Yeah, like a photo's been taken of it. Um It is moving, isn't it? But it's a single moment. A single moment. That's been uh... So it's not moving, is it? Maybe so, it's moving like a very, very, very tiny amount. And if you keep... No, that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, so if it's not moving, how can it reach its target? Peppa Pig's not dead. No, Peppa Pig lives We're on. not having bacon. Oh, I love bacon. Um, so can we really divide time and space into infinitely small sizes? Um, I... But it wouldn't work if we did stuff. Just, life wouldn't work, so I don't know. So do you think we can't divide it then? It's a flow. Probably not. We can divide it to a certain point, unless there is just infinite. Yeah, so it's not a thing that could be broken down, is what you're saying. Seems. No, it, just to a certain point. This episode's making you think. Yeah, I don't like thinking. <laughs> okay. Um, well, we can't divide it infinitely. There is a smallest size. Okay, good. <laughs> So, well, that means that we have these problems of things getting stuck. In 1899, German physicist Max Planck, he proposed the Planck units, and they are the smallest possible units of time and space. Oh, I think we should call him 
Min plank. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good joke, that one. I mean, whoever writes these jokes is brilliant. Yeah. So how small do you think they are? I mean, have a guess at how long the plank length is. Um, very small. Correct. It <laughs> is a millionth of a billionth of a billionth of a billionth of a millimetre. Okay. And knowing that, how long do you think the smallest unit of plank time is? A millionth of a billionth of a billionth of a millisecond. It is a millionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a second. You've actually got that wrong. It's a hundred millionth of a trillionth of the trillionth of the trillionth of a second. Oh, thank you. Yes. It's such a big number. I can't read it. (laughs) Obviously, we've got no way of observing such tiny dimensions. And at this scale, the laws of physics, both standard and quantum, start to break down. But if we've got this smallest unit of space and time, aren't we stuck in Zeno's paradoxes? I mean, how do we move from one instant to the next? I don't know. I don't like thinking. (laughs) And this is actually where things start to get odd. And you thought they were odd already, didn't you? So what's the world made up of? Atoms. So the world is made up of loads of tiny little things, isn't it? It's granular. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you look at the microphone in front of you, is that just solid atoms or what's there? It is. Yeah, but there's more space between the atoms than there's atoms, isn't there? The gaps are bigger. Yet for you, it looks I solid. can't really see at an atomic level, unfortunately. You can't, exactly. That's, that's the whole point, is how you see that matter is as something solid. And that's similar to how we are seeing time. If you think of time as granular, we are still seeing it as something different to that Mm -hmm. now the Planck units they are important for the theory of quantum gravity which is one of the leading theories for explaining time we can represent Planck time with a pack of cards now I took this from Carlo Rovelli's book The Order of Time now if you were to grab the shuffled pack please I've got a pack of cards because I really like magic you do yeah now you can look at their faces yep turn them over Shuffle them again. Just a quick shuffle is fine. Okay. And don't look at them after you've done that, though. That's enough. Thank you. Okay. Now, can you read this number, please? Eight zero six five eight one seven five one seven zero nine four three eight seven eight five seven one six six zero six three six eight five. It's a 68-digit long number, and that is the number of different possible combinations that you can shuffle cards into, just from 52 cards. So look at the face again now, please. That's a magic trick in itself. It is. Okay, yeah. So this is close to the number of atoms in the visible universe, which is insane. If you look at them, can you tell the difference now? Can you work out what's changed in the shuffling? No. Not really, because there's so many... Different combinations, aren't there? So if you take any two packets of cards, you can't really see the difference. And if you take a photo before and after shuffling, you'd have no way of knowing which photo was taken first, would you? Not really. Because as there is so many different possible orders. And down at the Planck scale, this is exactly how the word is. If you perform any calculations or experiments, it doesn't actually matter which direction time is going. It could be forwards or backwards. It's no different. It's all the same. (laughs) In fact, there is no flow of time at that scale. It does not exist. There is change, but the direction of that change is irrelevant. So why do we feel time moving? 
I'm not sure. That's so weird. So if I were to shrink down to that scale somehow, what what how would time wouldn't move or something? That's beyond me. <laughs> I don't know exactly. But let, let's do another experiment, okay? So you need a second packet of cards, please. Yep. And you can look at the faces of these and just tell me what's different, please. These ones are all in order. Okay. So shuffle them a few times, but then don't look at the faces after, okay? Okay. So the cards, they began ordered, but as you shuffle them, you increase the entropy and actually yeah. disorder and chaos in the system. Okay, so if you look at the faces now, can you kind of see what's different and what's changed? Is it easier? Yeah, much easier. Because I know they're not in order now. Exactly. So you you knew the original state and now you know the new state. And it's believed that at the beginning of the universe, everything was more ordered than it is now. It's in a special state. Mm -hmm. So at the smallest sizes, this doesn't really make much difference. But at the scale that we can see the world and that we interact with it or perceive it, this change, this entropy, it all adds up. And that allows us to see a direction in the change. So there is a direction to time then? Yes. And that's governed by the second law of thermodynamics, which states that entropy always increases. Mm -hmm. And this it's believed, as one of the leading theories, is how we feel time. Mm -hmm. It also means that time doesn't exist as an actual thing. It's just a side effect of another process. But that doesn't stop it feeling real, does it? No. I've got one question that's not entirely related, but are there like light atoms? So the atoms that create up. Yeah, okay, yeah. So we were watching a good program on this with Brian Cox, um... And he was explaining entropy with sand and grains of sand. And he described how if uh, at the beginning there was like more structure. Uh, so he made a sand castle at the sand grains and there was more structure. But if he changed anything in that, the um, it would look very different and the structure of it would be ruined. But if you just made a pile of sand it's much more likely that the uh, more grains of sand will replace other ones as well. And um, you don't see as much change in it compared to the Yeah, you don't see the difference. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's going from structure to disorder mm. or order to disorder. So the castle has low entropy and the um, pile of sand has very high entropy. That's right, yeah. We all feel the time passing, our emotions, what we are doing, and our culture change how we feel and think about time. If you are doing a boring task, time feels slower. If you're doing something you enjoy, it goes faster. And as Einstein said, When you sit in with a nice girl for two hours, you think it's only a minute. But when you sit on a hot stove for a minute, you think it's two hours. That's relativity. It is, but I don't know if he actually really said that, because it's not a direct quote. Some cultures might stay with that nice girl longer than others, depending on how they use time. Mm -hmm. So in America and Northern Europe, we see time as governed more by the clock. So we might arrange a meeting from 10 to 11, and we give that hour of time. And being prompt is really important for us. The transaction of time is important. But in some other societies, maybe in Italy or Spain or Latin America... It's not the fixed times that are important, it's spending the right time that is. So people, they might 
turn up late, but they may also stay longer. So they've got to make sure that they give the right amount of time. Mm-hmm. Now, it's quite a broad generalization, but it represents how different people have different views of time. Mm-hmm. The Navajos see time even more differently. For them, time is circular. If you miss an event, it is okay, and you'll have another opportunity later. For them, life isn't organised by clocks and hours, it's by completing tasks. If you're late, you don't need to apologise, but looking at your watch and leaving early, now that's offensive. I think that's probably how most people used to see the time before we had mechanical clocks or mechanised time. Mm-hmm. I'd like to go back in time and experience <laughs> that, because it's very different. Do you know why time sometimes feels faster or slower? Is it um, is it all to do with pretty girls? No. Uh, if we do something we enjoy, uh, time can feel faster. But when we remember these events, the boring days feel fast and the interesting days feel longer. The opposite of what we felt at the time. Okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So why is that? One idea is the amount of energy your brain used to process what we are doing. If we do something fun or new, we concentrate more and use more energy, and this leaves a bigger impression. That might be why time seems to go faster when we age. There are less new experiences we need to process. That's very true. Time's definitely quicker for me than when I was your age. Mm-hmm. Some holidays whiz by now, and they stay gone forever. <laughs> it also shows that memory is a really vital cog in how we perceive time, because to see change, we have to know the previous state. So have you ever felt time slow down, maybe during a near-death experience playing Apex Legends? Not Swansea, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's like more time. It feels like there's more time to process what's happening as well. Because obviously you're processing more, like I just said. Um, now, there's a brilliant experiment by neuroscientist David Eagleman. Now, as a boy, he fell off his roof. With a name like Eagleman, <laughs> probably thought he could fly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now as he fell, he felt time slowing down for him and he became really interested in time from that moment. And years later, he devised an experiment to test it. And all you need to do is throw someone off the roof and we are going to recreate it now. Before that, I remember um, we went to a talk with Anthony Horowitz, uh, a good author, and he was talking about how he get he used to get his kids to do the stunts, like jumping off roofs and stuff. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> Which is funny. Anyway, let's uh-huh. do the stunt. Yeah, so, okay, let's go up to the roof, okay? And I'm going to throw you off, is that right? Uh, okay, it is quite a high roof because we have a big lab. Actually, there's one problem is we need some giant flashing numbers which oh. you can look at as you're falling. And unfortunately, I couldn't source any. So are you okay not doing the experiment? Oh, yeah, that's fine by me. Okay, right. I'll just explain it then. So, to perform it, um, as someone is thrown off a large height, he actually did this with his students, David Eagleman, um, they're asked to look at the flashing numbers, Then, and they're changing, they're counting up really quickly. So if time slows down, the person should be able to see more numbers as they flash. And to quote uh, Eagleman, he said... I can measure the speed of time at which you're seeing the world. So I could figure out if people were actually seeing in slow motion, like Neo in the Matrix, or whether it was just a trick of their memory retrospectively. 
But what he discovered is that we don't see in slow motion like flies do. Instead, we just create more memories. And this is probably because we're desperately searching for some escape from death. So it's like, imagine we're constantly taking photos when we're going about to die. We take lots more photos trying to and then scan the photos uh, quickly to see if there's anything like to help us, for example. Um, yeah, we, we don't actually see any slower, though. It's just uh, something that happens later in our memory. Oh, OK. So if you think about the past, where actually is it? Does it have a direction? For me, the past would be behind me. And so I'm going forwards into time. Mm-hmm. And the future? I'm going forwards into time. And the future? <laughs> I'm going forwards into time. Sorry, we're just in a weird time warp then. Yeah, yeah. Whoa. I'm not sure what that was. <laughs> but not everyone sees time this way. No? No. In the Aymara language of the Andes, for the past, people say Naira Pacha, perfectly pronounced, <laughs> combining their words for the front or I and with time. For the future, they say Kipa Mawana, uh, combining their words for behind and a year. For them, the future's behind them then? Uh, they have seen the past with their own eyes, so they can confidently talk about it, but they have not seen the future. For them, it flows into the back of their head. So I find that really interesting. The Amara speakers show that there's actually this visualisation is a cultural thing. It's not something intrinsic about our brains. A 2016 study in Italy asked people to step forward when they heard tomorrow and step backwards for yesterday. When it matched how they saw time they found it easy but when the researchers asked them to step backwards for the future and forwards for the past they were significantly slower and more error prone so that's weird it's just yeah bending our perception that shows that direction and space is really important for our idea of time mm-hmm. and our written language has a big effect as well so when asked to place three images of a banana so unpeeled, half-peeled and half-eaten into chronological order. Writings of Latin scripts placed them left to right. In Hebrew, they went right to left and then Chinese top to bottom. So those all echoed how the language is written. And if you look at a play button, it points to the right as well. Mm, it does. Are there any other ways that people see time? Yes. In the Yupno Valley of Papua New Guinea, a man called Danda was asked to explain the difference between yesterday and tomorrow. He gestured that the future is uphill and the past is downhill. See, I reckon it might be because if you imagine when the sun is rising or setting, the first thing it's going to hit is the peaks of the mountains, Mm -hmm. then you're going to see the sunlight travel down them. So I think that could be how they see the passage of time. So that could be similar to the Pormpura community in Australia. They view the, the past in the east and the future in the west. Maybe they follow the sun moving through the sky. So spatial metaphors, they are used in every language, no matter our culture, our level of development, our environmental factors, we all use them. We see time as a direction, as something around us, as a distance, as a journey. And all of this makes perfect sense because we have three dimensions of space and we also have a fourth dimension of time. They are linked. Dr. Tiva Kaili 
an anthropologist from the Brigham Young University in Hawaii, says, Sometimes people are always wondering why the Polynesians are so late to things. Why they just relax, take time doing stuff. Why they never meet schedules and things like that. It's because schedules and all of those issues are a very Western way of thinking about time and space. Where deadlines are important and the relationships between people come secondary. So if you're having a conversation with a friend that's going on for like three or four hours, that's more important than trying to end it because you've got to meet some sort of schedule. That's a nice way to think about it. It is, isn't it? So if you want to travel somewhere using a map, how do you picture yourself moving? Do, do you see yourself like moving on a static landscape? Yeah, I would move to that place. Yeah, okay. Uh, because the Polynesians, when they cross the great distances of the ocean, they see themselves as remaining still and the landscape moves around them. Ooh. <laughs> it's kind of odd, isn't it? And that might be... Because as they're covering these vast distances of water, the sea's always moving. Mm-hmm. So you could imagine that as the reason why they see the sea moving and themselves staying in the same place. Mm-hmm. They're also amazing navigators and they've got an amazing sense of time and space. And they can read all the patterns and movements of the oceans. And do you know the special technique that some of them use? They win the water. And something about that, I don't know. Um, they use their testicles. Sensitive, sensitive. Exactly. So they can actually feel the really subtle, powerful ocean currents as they're shaped and pushed between the islands. Um, so they generate patterns of vibrations. Uh-huh. And uh, like some of the highly trained navigators, they can actually feel that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Not exactly to do with time, but I had to get like, this back. Castrating in. would be the end of the world for them. Yeah, if that was a cultural thing, they wouldn't have been able to populate all those small islands throughout the Pacific. Mm. Yeah can even trick your brain to seeing the future yeah so here's another amazing experiment by david eagleman and this is an extract from an article he wrote for edge before you were born until long time ago it has been shown that the brain constantly recalibrates its expectations about arrival times and does so by starting with a single simple assumption if it sends out a motor act such as a clap of the hands All the feedback should be assumed to be simultaneous and any delays should be adjusted until simultaneously perceived. In other words, the best way to predict the expected relative timing of incoming signals is to interact with the world. Each time you kick or touch or knock something, your brain makes the assumption that the sight, sound and touch are simultaneous. While this is a normally adaptive mechanism, we have discovered a strange consequence of it. Imagine that every time you press a key, you cause a brief flash of light. Now imagine we sneakily inject a tiny delay, say 200 milliseconds, between the key press and the subsequent flash. You may not even be aware of the small extra delay. However, if we suddenly remove the delay, you'll now believe that the flash occurred before your key press. An illusionary reversal of action and sensation. Your brain tells you this, of course, because it has adjusted to the timing of the delay. That's weird. Yeah. So our brains are inventing the world for us. So like you mentioned our perception episode earlier, all the experiments we did, we are creating this all the time from our senses. But sometimes our brains aren't just tricked. Memory, as we said, is such an important part of how we experience time. So what happens when something goes wrong? And this is a terrifying account from the man who mistook his wife for a cat by Oliver Sacks. Now one of his patients, Jimmy, He was a man in his 50s and he was a bright guy, intelligent, full of life. 
And when asked to recount his life, he started with his childhood, and he was talking in the past tense. And he moved on to his Navy days when he was in his 20s. And at that moment, his tense changed from past to present. So Sachs asked him what year it was. And Jimmy replied, 1945, we've won the war. Woo! And when asked his age, why, I guess I'm 19, Doc. I'll be 20 next birthday. Jimmy was stuck in time. He couldn't form new memories. He couldn't actually feel time passing. So he was handed a mirror and uh, he goes, Jesus Christ. He whispered that, ripping his chair. Christ, what's going on? What's happening to me? Is this a nightmare? Am I crazy? Is this a joke? This even his own like self-image or self-reality had broken down. Mm-hmm. He didn't have time anymore. He couldn't make memories. And Sachs felt awful and he really regretted handing over the mirror. And the only saving grace was that Jimmy would soon forget about the event as his memory lasted only a few minutes. Scary, isn't it? Yeah, that's weird. And then Sachs, he wrote in the book, um, he is isolated in a single moment of being with a moat of forgetting all around him. He is a man without a past or future, stuck in a constantly changing, meaningless moment. That's weird. It's like maybe something from... Could a memory be so strong that you're just stuck in it? I guess not, but... All sorts of strange things can happen with your brain. Maybe something during World War II happened and affected his brain. I think you'd relive those a memory in your dreams and things, but I don't think you could be stuck in it because uh, you'll be having all the constant stimuli and input through your senses but for him he couldn't make new memories that's weird time is something we're inside of something created by our culture our society by what is expected of us it's created by our memories and by our brains we've divided it measured it attempted to control it for our own convenience and understanding But time is also something outside our bodies, it's multi-layered and multifaceted, impossible for us to fully perceive and appreciate. There's no universal, agreed-upon idea of what time is, and that's amazing. Time is one of the most fundamental and important aspects of our reality, and it's also one of our biggest mysteries. Today we may struggle to comprehend that one second for you is different to one second for me, or that your feet age slower than your head. But fixed time is a modern idea. Just like the passage of time varies due to speed and gravity, so does our perception of it. If you took a caveman to the moon, he'd be more surprised by the low gravity than that time was running faster. For him, he knows that time isn't fixed. He feels that every single day. Maybe if we live too much by the clock, we lose something. What's most important? Spending a fixed time or spending the right time? That's a good outro. Thank I'm very you. good at those still. <laughs> I feel so much pressure writing those. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's time. I mean, tough one for you there with the thinking on yeah. your feet. Like um, I said, I didn't like thinking, but I actually understood that all right in the end, which is good. And that's, that's changed lots of different ideas and thoughts of things. Really? Maybe we... Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should stop putting so much dates and things and loot just make time a little bit looser 
yeah, live a bit freer. I mean, it's really important for some things, but yeah. I don't think you should let it control your life. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, that's time for you. And uh, we said we had a little announcement. And I- I've been asked many times with the podcast being called The Curiosity of a Child, what are we going to do when you grow up, Anton, when you're no longer that child? And as we've been learning about time here, I've got a great idea. What I want to do is send you to the edge of a black hole where gravity is really high and time goes slower. And that way you will be able to stay as a child longer and we'll be able to keep recording. That's a good idea. Yeah, and we'll be able to keep the show going. So I'm wondering if we should actually do a Kickstarter where we try and fund building a spaceship through the medium of T-shirts and mugs, maybe, to send you there. Uh Uh-huh. That's a really good idea, actually. Uh, I'm, I'm up for that. I mean, I hopefully our listeners will be too. I'd, I'd really like that. So do it for me, guys. Do it for me. Yeah, and for science. I've also had a genius idea, but mm. I cannot tell it on a podcast. Oh, okay. So top secret. You have to back the Kickstarter to find out. Okay, hold that thought. If you enjoyed the show, please review us. Where can people could? Where can people do that? You need to learn to talk, Daddy. You're a I'm pro struggling. podcaster and you can't do anything. I know. Anyway, uh, they can do it on Twitter. Right, they're reviewing. Apple Podcasts. They're reviewing. I knew that. Yeah, podcast. I need to learn how to do a podcast, Daddy. <laughs> anyway, Apple Podcasts. Uh, Podchaser. Uh, Podchaser. Uh, anywhere where you get your podcast, really, please raise and leave a review. And tell somebody about the show if you enjoy it, because um, we want more people to enjoy how much we enjoy learning and discovery um and where can you find us we're on social media aren't we yep twitter at curiojarpod instagram at curiojarpod facebook curiojarpod as well just search us there and visit our website which is thecuriousofachild.com that's right yeah and we've got a shop on there as well which you can visit yep shop.thecuriousofachild.com that's right. And you can find show notes on there and links to everything we have spoken about today. And we also need to say a massive thank you to Ronan Harris. Hang on a minute. We haven't finished my bit. I've got a gaming channel as well, which is the Curiosity of Gaming. That's right. Yes. So search for that on YouTube, please. We also have to say a massive thank you to Ronan Harris from VNV Nation, who allowed us to play his music on here. And it's a song called... When is the future? When is the future? And it's written and produced by Raymond Harris and it's published by Schubert Music Publishing. That's taken from the VMV Nation album. Noir. Noir. <laughs> and we'll have links on our website to that. So thank you very much. Anyway, we'll see you in the past. Yes. See you yesterday. Goodbye and thank you. And when is the